guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. Hey. Hello, Ryan. How's it going? Oh, it's pretty good, man. How's it, uh, how's it hanging? I've been better. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't mention this in the last episode. I've been sick for the last week, uh, so if I sound weird for a few episodes here... It's because I've had bronchitis all week. Hopefully bronchitis. It could be COVID, and I might catch it from you. Well, I did take a test, and it was negative. Okay, well, hopefully but whatever it is I'm assuming have, it's bronchitis, and it's Non-contagious. Sucks. Yeah, so that hasn't been particularly great, but I'm doing better than I was on Monday, so. How about emotionally? How you doing? Pretty good, actually. Um, okay, good. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was the day after our last recording session was actually my two-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thanks. So that was a, a pretty pretty good emotional boost for me. All right. So that's cool. And uh, tomorrow is my birthday. Happy actually. birthday. Yeah. So I'll be 23 tomorrow. How, how fun. Yeah, I'm not old like you, so it's pretty fun. Yeah. Well. It's fine. My bones creak, and I'm yeah. Now, your birthday was also very recently. Yeah, it but just we're passed. not gonna say what day it was because no, I don't want to dox myself. No, but you're old now. It's true. I am a ripe old twenty six. So you're you know. closer to thirty than you are to twenty now. Yep, one foot in the grave, man. I'm closer to fifty than I am to being a baby. Ouch. That hurts. Yep, sure does. Just like everything I'm else, not, because I'm old now. <laughs> I'm not either of those things yet, so I feel pretty good about myself. Well, congratulations on your youth. Spend it wisely. I didn't. Um, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. It's fine. <laughs> well, if I'm spending it here, maybe I'm not spending it the best. Well, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, yeah. well, welcome we- to Theology-ish. It is a podcast that is about theology, as the name implies, and other things that are tangentially related to theology, such as biblical studies, church history, and uh, philosophy, literature, or sometimes Star Wars. Yeah, apparently. Today is not an episode about Star Wars, though. Today is an episode about theology stuff. So, Ryan, yeah. what theology stuff are we talking about today? Today, we are going to talk about eternal security. And what does that mean? Well, in layman's terms, uh, many of you have probably heard of the phrase, once saved, always saved. And that is actually just eternal security. That is the proper term for that line of thought. 
So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to discuss whether or not eternal security be or not be, according to certain groups, their reasoning behind that, uh, what some people had to say about it, how we feel about it, that kind of thing. And we'll, we'll see where discussion goes. But yeah, eternal security. So... Which is not the position held by Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists, and many Pentecostal groups do not agree with eternal security, uh, but Presbyterians and Baptists do. Yeah, as, as my list here says, eternal security is a characteristic doctrine of Southern Baptists, Old Regular Baptists, United Baptists. Is that what the— it says old regular or? old regular Baptists. Okay, that's the technical term. Yeah, um, missionary Baptists, United Baptists, Landmark Baptists, Baptists, uh, other historic Baptist traditions. It is also held by various Calvinist groups, such as Reformed Christians. So I, I think the Calvinist understanding of eternal security is a little bit different, mm. uh, and we can dig into that here because. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you are a part of a Baptist church. Yes. I am not, and as far as I can recall, I have never been. Um, I'm not a Baptist. Um, but the Baptist church believes in free will, right? Yes. Full on. Yeah. All the way in. Yeah, they don't like the whole predestination thing. Yeah, and Calvinism, which is what the Presbyterians are into, is very much into predestination. And therefore, not into free will. Yeah. Now, the opposite of eternal security is conditional security, which, as you mentioned, is something that the Orthodox and the Catholics and the Lutherans and some of them, they buy into that. Um, And the Protestants as well. Um, Yeah, so there's eternal security and conditional security. So, eternal security, a.k.a. once saved, always saved, is the belief that once somebody has attained a salvation in Christ, once someone has been saved, they cannot lose that salvation. That nothing on heaven nor in, uh, nothing in heaven or nor on earth could possibly unsave you, basically. And conditional security is the idea that you can be saved and then lose your salvation, that you can slip out of your faith and then no longer be saved because you don't believe anymore or because you did something or something to that effect. So those are the two sides of the coin, basically. Um, The term that people who don't believe in eternal security would use— in reference to losing one's salvation, yes. is mortal sin. You've probably heard that yeah. phrase before. A mortal sin is a sin that is particularly egregious and violates charity to such a degree that it uh, fractures your relationship with God, and it is a requirement that you do penance and um, confession and whatnot in order to make things right. Yeah. Um, so there, there you go. Mortal yeah. sin is the things that would make you lose your 
Now, what would be an example of a mortal sin? Uh, I don't know because I'm not Catholic either, but I'm gonna guess murder. Yeah, that was up there on my my guesses as well. Uh, um, not too long ago, I was reading a little bit of Basil of Caesarea. Yeah, and he uh, he talks about the things that you have to do as penance in order to be put back into full communion with the church, and he he had years worth of penance that you had to do before you were fully in communion with the church for different sins. And one in particular, he said that you had to be like, you had to do penance for like 15 years if you committed incest. Um, so it's a long time. Yeah. Based off the, the length of the sentence, I'm going to assume that incest is probably a mortal sin. Yep. Yep. Fair. Yeah. Pretty icky. Um, <laughs> It sure is. <laughs> Let's see here. What what else might be immortal? Sin? Pedophilia. Pedophilia is probably up there. Yeah, probably. Stuff uh, like that. Stuff like that. Don't real, do those things. Real bad things. Um, in the words of the Catholic Church's catechism, mortal sins cause us to lose our salvation unless we repent. There you go. That's that's yeah. their understanding of that. And the Baptist would say. Uh, no, of course not. Once you're saved, if you murder someone, you're good. Yeah, so the argument that Baptists and other like denominations within Pente- uh sorry, not Pentecostal church. That's, Protestant. Yes, that's not the word. And other Protestant church groups will make is if you quote-unquote lose your salvation, you haven't actually lost your salvation, rather— that is an indication that you were never saved to begin with. Which we're going to get into in a little bit. But that is what some of those groups will say, that either you're saved or you're not. And if there is an indication that you are not saved, but it was assumed that you were prior, then tough luck, you were never actually saved to begin with. That's the argument that that is made. So... I think a good place to start would be to determine what salvation actually is. Mm. Because a lot of this and the argument between those two lines of thought really comes down to what is salvation. Yeah, this is really a question of soteriology, which is the branch of theology that's interested in salvation things. And eschatology, which is the branch of theology that's interested in the last things. Yes. Um, so let's let's talk about that. What okay. is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? Oh, well, when the Baptist says that you are saved, what they usually mean is that you said the prayer to the effect of, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. Come live in my heart. Amen. Is that f- fair? That's kind of what the Baptist means. They mean that you said the sinner's prayer. And depending on the Baptist, they might throw in that you have been baptized and quote-unquote born again yeah, on top I'm, of the prayer. During sermons sometimes, he'll he'll invite people, you yeah, know, the, to— The altar call. Yeah, the altar call and say, if you have not given your life to Christ, this is an invitation to do so now. And usually what that looks like on his end is— you know, close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. You know, God, I'm a sinner, and I, I have strayed far from you, and 
I want to repent of those sins and dedicate my life to you, and I want to be part of your church and this and that. You know, I, I invite you to come into my heart, basically. And that's what that prayer looks like. Um, and then, of course, at that point, I go to a Baptist church. So at that point, they start talking baptism and what that looks like and things to that effect. But yeah, that's a pretty fair representation of, I think, probably a lot of Baptist and Baptist-like church groups. Yeah, it's, and- it's basically, God, I'm a sinner. Sorry. I want you to guide my life now. Whoopsie daisies. I did a sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not necessarily presenting this in the most favorable light. Um, and I'll, cause I'm not Baptist. Either. That's cool. Um, so the sinner's prayer is what that's called. Yeah. You say the sinner's prayer and then you're quote unquote saved. And maybe, depending on the church that you're in, they want you to get baptized, too. And once you're baptized, now you're, I guess, double saved. Sure. Um, And because you are now saved, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Right? Yeah. And that's kind of what that means when people talk about— That's the end goal. That's the end goal is for you to get to heaven. Um, And I have— some problems and not necessarily that it's wrong. I don't think it's right, but you know, we can argue about whether or not it is or isn't. Um, I have some problems with that in particular. Well, eh, let's take it one thing at a time. Yeah. Do you think that the, the little sinner's prayer there, once you do that, then you're quote-unquote saved. Is that a fair representation of what the Baptist church believes? I probably should have looked a little deeper into that before we started this episode. Um, And as far as I understand it, though, that would be fair to say, yes, that once you have prayed the sinner's prayer, and you do so truly, like, you know, that's one thing to, you have to mean it. If you've prayed it and you meant it, you have been saved. And... My church, as a Southern Baptist church, does not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. They highly encourage it, and will certainly tell you why they they think you should be baptized, but they do not believe you have to be baptized to receive salvation. So once you've prayed the sinner's prayer and mean it, you're saved. That's that's salvation. So I'm trying to decide which direction to to go, because there are several lines— of thought that we could trace. Um, We could talk about Calvin's idea and how predestination is a little bit different from eternal security. Yeah. Or we could talk about if, quote-unquote, going to heaven is the end goal. I think the Calvin thing is pretty easy to talk about and should be short. Okay. Well, we'll go with the Calvin thing. So we'll talk about that first. So Because the Presbyterians and other Calvinists— Yes. believe in something similar to the Baptist eternal security. But for the the Presbyterian, the Calvinist, it is that God chose you yes. from eternity past, and you have been predestined as either an elect person or a not-elect or person. Or a <laughs> reprobate person. Mm. That's the... Is that the official term? I believe it is. Okay. Um, 
I might be mistaken, but that that's definitely some of the phrasing I've seen. Yeah. In some of some translations of Calvin because he wrote in French and I'm not reading him in French. Yeah. So if you are elect, then God has chosen you from eternity past and you are created to be an eternal monument to God's mercy. And I want to be fair to Calvin because my understanding of Calvin is that he wanted to be sensitive and pastoral and encouraging to his congregation in Geneva. And subsequent generations took the things that he said and ran with it and they brought them out to their logical conclusions and I don't know if Calvin would necessarily agree with all five points of five-point Calvinism. Yeah. I think he would in essence, but he doesn't phrase it the same way that modern Calvinists do. But regardless, you are elect from eternity past. And as a person who is elect from eternity past, there is nothing you can or will do that will separate you from the love of God. You will go to heaven. You will go to heaven because you are elect. And that you can see how that's intended as a pastoral care yeah. to an extent. You have someone in your congregation who's concerned about their salvation. How do I know I'm saved? Well, you know you're saved because you you are chosen from eternity past by God as an elect person. Yeah. And you will be an eternal monument to God's mercy, whereas the reprobate is an eternal monument to God's justice. And there is nothing that the reprobate can or will do that will change their fate. Correct. And I I have beef with this. I I think that this kind of predestination, I don't think it, it is the case that it robs us of our free will. Yes. I think it is very clear in the teachings of the church prior to Calvin that free will is important to Christianity. Uh, Free will and God's foreknowledge do not have incompatibility. Yeah. The church has produced very powerful intellects over the centuries who have written at length about that, if you're curious. Um predestination and fate because that's kind of what it is yeah is much more of a um kind of pagan concept than it is a christian one and calvin kind of takes that and he sort of baptizes it yeah in a way I, I don't think that's what calvin was trying to do it's not that he was reading about the fates and how the stars determine our lives or whatever and he was like yeah i'll just plug that into christianity i don't think that's what calvin's intention was but functionally, it's what he did, and I don't think that's right. Free will is important to the Christian faith. Um, so there you go. That's Calvin. Yeah. And then we have the Baptist tradition, which kind of grows alongside the Calvinist tradition. And from what I understand, they saw that. They thought they liked the perseverance of the saints, which is what the Calvinists call it. Yeah. 
they didn't like the lack of free will, so they leave the predestination and bring over the the perseverance. So if you're saved, well, we've got perseverance of the saints, so once saved, always saved, and eternal security, and onward and upward from there. Yeah. Um, that seems to be how that kind of yeah. developed. Does that does it make sense? Yeah, that makes me? sense. Yeah. Now, that is running under the assumption that all one must do to attain salvation is, in fact, pray a sinner's prayer and, depending on your tradition, maybe get baptized. Something to that effect. And then there's the other side of the coin, where you've got your Catholics and your Lutherans and your, you know, all them. Now, what does salvation look like to them? What What is the process of salvation to the Catholic or to the Lutheran, right? Because I'm not super well-versed in their tradition myself, but to the best of my knowledge, it's not just, well, you pray the sinner's prayer, right? There's There's more to it. You've got, like, the confirmation I know is a thing. You know, there's the whole thing of pedo-baptism and how that plays into it. And there are seven holy sacraments. So to the best of your knowledge, what does salvation look like to people from those kinds of traditions? So the the seven sacraments, it's not that you have to go through all seven to be mm-hmm. saved. Okay. Um, marriage is a sacrament, and so yeah. are holy orders. So you can't participate in both of those because yeah. a holy order would be like a monk or yeah. something. And if you're a monk or a priest or whatever, you can't get married in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So from what I understand, the Catholic Church repent of your sins. You participate in baptism because baptism confers grace and then you receive the sacrament which is um the Eucharist, the bread and wine. Yes. And and then there's also a confirmation and the so if if I'm not Catholic, I've never participated in the Catholic style of things, so I, I don't know for sure, but my understanding of it is you take a baby, you baptize the baby, and you baptize them for uh original sin, right? And then when they are older you then have confirmation, which is where they first receive the Eucharist because they have to be educated. Yeah. And then you get the Eucharist, and then they have to participate in confession and penance and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I, I think for the Baptist, it's fair to say that salvation is a moment. There's a moment where you say the thing and you yes. mean it. And then you're saved from that moment there. Yep. And for the Catholic and the Orthodox and the Lutheran and the Anglican, et cetera, et cetera, salvation is a process that yeah. works out throughout your entire life. So you are saved when you die. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard so many people over my lifetime uh, who were primarily Baptist or in Baptist adjacent traditions who would I'd hear them tell their testimony and almost unanimously every single one of them 
when they're telling their testimony, gets to that point in their story where they go, and that's when I was saved. That was the night that I was saved in youth group or in a sermon, you know, or I was at this event or whatever. And that's the night that I prayed a prayer and I was saved. That is, that is a super Baptist thing. And again, Baptist adjacent traditions as well, not just Baptists, but that part of the Protestant church at large. Um, the, yeah, they don't really have that idea of, of like the process, right? There is no, you're saved when you die. It's, well, you gave your life to Christ when you prayed that prayer. And from that point forward, you are saved. How do you feel about that? Just like as a, a process. Hmm. So there, there's a verse somewhere in Holy Scripture. I don't know where, but it says that uh, nothing can snatch us from God's hand. Yes. And, We're going to get to that later, actually. Yeah, and, but and the Baptist points to that, and they yep. say, there you go. And that's fair. Nothing can snatch us from God's hand. But I, I do think, I think it's kind of like the... Uh, the Kung Fu master with the pebble and we're the pebble. Yeah. Uh, like nothing can snatch it from his hand, but he, he stands there with his hand open. And if you want, I reckon you can, you can walk off. Yeah. Um, it seems to be the case from my reading of scripture and the history of the church that there is an explicit expectation that the Christian ought to participate in a particular way of life. Yes. And as James says in the book of James, faith without, without works, works is, is dead. dead. Which is something I really wanted to talk about. Right. And I'm not advocating for works righteousness, right? It is not through works so that none can boast, okay? But we have to participate in the very life of God, which is in holy things and in righteous action. And I don't like the notion of the once saved, always saved, because what it does and what that ends up looking like in people's lives, and I've seen this many times, it ends up being license, mm. right? You said the prayer and you okay. meant it. By golly, so, you meant it. So now you get to do whatever. Let's get into that in a minute because right? that's a touchy subject. Um, I do really want to talk about that, but let's get to that in a minute. Let me backtrack just a second, though. All right. Yeah, I said a lot of words. Just let's then. dig a little deeper. A faith without works is dead. But what is faith? Because he doesn't say a salvation without works is dead. A faith without works is dead. You, so what is faith? Do you remember in our, uh, I think it was the episode on sin, mm -hmm. where we talked about the, the Greek word pistis yes. and how it's faith or faithfulness. And yep. it can also, it might should be translated as loyalty. Yes. Yeah, And how uh, faithfulness to your spouse we all understand that that means a particular way of behaving 
Yeah. And Semper Fidelis, the the uh, Marine yes. motto, means a particular way of behaving. One Marine to another. You are supposed to behave a particular way. And if you don't, you are not loyal. Yeah. You are not faithful if you don't behave a certain way. And I think that we see that in James when he says faith, if we translate that loyalty instead. Loyalty without works isn't loyalty. Mm. So when I pray the sinner's prayer, as I once did as a young lad at the ripe age of 16 years old, when I prayed that I had faith in Christ, what James is getting at is that faith means nothing if I do not behave in a way that acts in accordance with that faith. That's, that's what we're saying, basically. Yeah, right? the, or the, at the very least that uh, it, it doesn't profit you anything mm-hmm. if you say that you have it, but don't behave in a way that's like you have it, you know? Yeah. Okay, so... So faith is necessary for salvation. That is a part of salvation. Yeah. yeah. That's that's fair to say. You must have faith to receive salvation. But if we're taking the Baptist approach of, you know, you say the sinner's prayer and you're saved, but also James very explicitly lays out that a faith without works is dead, how can the two coexist within Baptist-esque churches, right? How can the two coexist of eternal security, and also that verse in James. How do they coexist in Baptist-esque traditions without conflicting? Are, are you trying to get me to say bad things about the Baptists? No, I'm just genuinely asking. Oh, because, because my answer is, well, reckon the Baptists are wrong then. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I go to a Southern Baptist church, right? And there are certainly people within the Southern Baptist tradition that are well-educated and smarter than me, certainly. But in my mind, when I look at that, I go, okay, so you guys are saying this. Because these reasons, you've got these verses to back you up. But James very clearly lays out that a faith without works is dead. So if somebody claims to be saved and has said the sinner's prayer and they've been part of the church for 30 years and they've been very faithful, but then one day they decide to murder their wife or to shoot up a school or to commit some heinous, horrible, terrible sin. Now, some traditions will say, okay, they probably lost their salvation, right? But the Baptists will say one of two things. Either A, their salvation is secure because eternal security. There there is nothing that can snatch you from the hand of God. Or they will say that they were never saved to begin with. And that's kind of the out, right? That's their out is if someone does this horrible thing or if someone acts in a way that is not in accordance with the life of a saved person— That is an indication that they were never truly saved. Here's my question. How can you determine that? As a person, as a human being, on what authority do any of us have have to say 
that somebody was not saved. In my mind, I have no authority to say whether or not somebody is saved. That's that's God's thing. Um, I, I think while I hear what you're saying, I, I, I think that there are certain limits on that. Mm. Uh because we we have to be able to call heretics heretics when they're being heretical. Certainly. Right? Um and I I don't reckon that heretics have the right kind of faith for salvation because your faith needs to be in Christ and Christ alone. Mm-hmm. So the heretic does not have the right kind of faith for salvation. And they cannot be loyal to Christ because they don't have access to Christ to be loyal to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, there's one church, one bride of Christ. Yep. Um, Tertullian of Carthage, <clears throat> he writes to the pagans and he's, it, this is in the midst of a pretty bad persecution that the church is going through. And he writes to the pagans and he says, you guys are persecuting us and you're sentencing people to death just because they are called a Christian. Yeah. You don't sentence someone to death because you call them a murderer. You sentence them to death because they murdered or because someone stole. It's not that they're called a thief that condemns them. It's mm. that they thieved. Yeah. But you are killing people just for being called Christians, not for the things they've done. Yeah. And if they have done something that you're killing them for, like murder— at the time of the murder, they ceased to be a Christian. That's what Tertullian of Carthage says. Mm. He's writing right around the year 200, so yeah. he's pretty pretty early. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's a—if you choose the bad, yeah, then you are um, cutting yourself off from the things of Christ. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, let me let me give another example here that's perhaps less drastic than a murderer. Let's just say we've got old Bob. And old Bob has been going to church for 45 years. He's in his 60s. And he's been a faithful, devoted follower of Christ and church member for 45 years. He's tithed. He has volunteered in church for decades. He's, you know, been part of charity and all these outreaches and bob has led small groups in his church and has a great relationship with his pastors and for the last 45 years pastor bob's or sorry uh oh yeah old bob's mr. pastor bob. mr bob's pastor larry has had it in good faith for the last 45 years that bob has been a saved faithful christian but then one day out of nowhere bob just decides I no longer believe in God. I think it's all a bunch of hoo-ha. I was wrong. I wasted 45 years of my life. I, I no longer believe this. I believed it then, but I don't now, and then leaves the church. And then he doesn't go on to commit any crimes or do anything bad necessarily. He just doesn't believe in God anymore. Now, Pastor Larry had it on good authority for the last 45 years that Bob was saved. But when you get to this point, Pastor Larry has two options. Either A, he was never saved to begin with, or B, he's still saved, and he just doesn't know it. If Pastor Larry is a Baptist, 
Yes. Right? That This isn't a problem for other churches. Other churches would say the Bob is in a state of apostasy. Mm-hmm. He has elected to leave the church, and he is no longer in communion with the church. If he chooses to repent and to come back, he can be restored to full communion. Yeah. Um, but as of now, he's an apostate, and... By golly, else if you invite me to the barbecue, I might come. But yeah, um, I'll be glad to see you on Sunday if you show up. But I'm I'm not gonna invite you to lead a Bible study on Tuesday nights anymore. Yeah, um, you're you're an apostate. There, there you go. Um, so that's this is really only a problem for a Baptist minister. Yeah, or a Presbyterian minister, I suppose. Baptist adjacent. But yeah, Baptist and Baptist adjacent non-denom who grew yeah. out of Baptist traditions. Um, so I don't know what Pastor Larry's supposed to do. Um, yeah, because like it, that's tough, right? Because either he's still saved, but then a faith without works is dead, so how is he still saved? Well, it, or he was never saved. But it, how can Pastor Larry say he was never saved if he's had it on good authority for the last 45 years that Bob was saved? It's only a problem because Pastor Larry's a Baptist. <laughs> and There's your problem. That's what I'm getting, and I'm not, and I swear to God, I'm not throwing the Baptist under the bus, but that becomes an issue, right? Because with the idea of eternal security in mind, it has to be one or the other. And how can the two coexist? That That's a problem. And... I'm sure that my pastor would certainly have some explanations for that, and I'd love to talk to him about that uh, following up on this, certainly, and see what he has to say. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, and maybe he has a valid explanation that I'm just not thinking of. Maybe so. He very well uh, may, but as it stands at the moment, just during this recording, in my mind, the two are butting heads. It can't coexist, because if it does, that poses an issue. So it, this is an extreme example. Yeah. Um, but it's a real example from real life. Yes. I knew this guy. His name was, uh, we'll call him Robert. Yeah. Robert was bab. He said the prayer when he was a kid, six or seven years old, and he was baptized. Um, and then Robert grew up and... He smoked like a chimney, uh-huh. and he drank like a fish. Not that these things fun guy are necessarily inherently <laughs> sinful, but they led him to some sinful things. Robert, he uh, was married, had two kids, and then his marriage fell apart when he was accused by his wife of uh, doing some bad things to his daughters. Yeah. You can fill in the blank with your imagination. Yeah. He was found not guilty at the trial. I always wondered. And Robert, he uh, he then had a live-in girlfriend for, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. Which, for a Christian, is off-limits behavior. Sure is. But that's what Robert did. Robert had some friends down in South America that he would visit sometimes. And in exchange for money, he would bring back 
packages from South America mm. of various things. Again, you can use your imagination to fill that out. Robert, he uh, loaned some money to people. And when the fella couldn't pay, with a gun in his hand, he took his money back from his wife. You can fill in the blanks there with your imagination. Mm. And when Robert died, because he did die, I was helping tidy up his house a bit. There were porno mags everywhere and a gun in every single room because he had lived the sort of life that required him to have a gun in every single room, just in case. And as we were tidying up Robert's house, found a passport, and on it was the name Robert, and that wasn't Robert's name. About three weeks before he died, I had a conversation with him, and I said, you know, you're sick, you smoke like a chimney, you've drank like a fish, it's almost game over, man. Do you think that you should uh, maybe spend some time in prayer? And he said to me, I'm good, man. I'm good. Did that Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. It never even occurred to Robert that he might need to repent for some of the things he'd done. Mm. Because he was told, once saved, always saved. And this isn't a made-up story. This is... This is true. Yeah. I don't know. And I... That's a heavy story, man. It, I mean, I'm not trying to, like, drop this heavy bomb on you, but, yeah. like... I, I saw how Once Saved, Always Saved worked itself out in this fellow's life. Yep. And it worked out bad. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> that is probably the greatest downfall of that line of thought um whether or not it's true even if it is true if eternal security is true table the truth value of it which you know i'm I'm not a big fan of doing because i believe there is such thing as truth and we should pursue it because we're up to the task of finding what is true but by golly it is not pastoral no but even if it's true if you think that it's true if you live by that line of thought how much easier is it to do something like that? How much easier is it to be a Robert? And I'm not saying that's the reason he did those things. It may have been, it may have not. I don't know this, what, Robert. What I know is that when I talked to him not long out from from Game Over, he didn't think he had to do anything Yeah, because he was good. Yeah, and... He, he said the prayer when he was six. He's good. It, it just makes me think, man, like... Not that I'd ever be a Robert, because I don't want to be a Robert, but if I'm already saved because I did the Lord's, you know, I did a sinner's prayer when I was 16, why would I bother with the church anymore? Why am I doing this podcast right now? Why do I volunteer at a church every single Sunday and other days of the week? Why do I talk to my pastor? Why do I go to church? Because if I'm saved no matter what, how much better for me, from a human perspective, to just go out and live my life fulfilling my desires because I'm already saved? Well, Ryan, as a non-Baptist, <laughs> because salvation is not punctiliar. It's not a moment. It is 
the working of the Spirit in and through you throughout the entirety of your life as you live faithfully to Christ, because faith without works is dead. Mm. I have some, excuse me, I have some uh, proof texts for you about yeah, go for my it. perspective on this, if, yeah. if you're curious. So here's a, a brief blurb out of the Didache, which we did an episode on. We did. Often shall you come together, seeking the things that are befitting to your souls. For the whole time of your faith will not profit you if you are not made perfect in the last time. Mm. Well, doesn't sound like the people who wrote the Didache believed in once saved, always saved, does it? Not particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Here's Ignatius of Antioch, who wrote around the year 110. He was... uh, He knew the apostles personally. Pray without ceasing on behalf of other men, for there is in them hope of repentance that they may attain to God. For cannot he that falls arise again, and he that goes astray return? Mm. He he seems to be implying that there are people who can fall and go astray, which means that they were correct to begin with, and then they deviated. But they can be brought back. So we pray for them because they can be brought back. So that's Ignatius. Uh, let's see here. We've got quotes here from Irenaeus of Lyons, Tertullian of Carthage, um, Cyprian of Carthage, uh, Basil of Caesarea, Jerome, Augustine of Hippo. Mm-hmm-hmm. Which one? Trying to find a good one. Oh shucks. We'll we'll let Yeah. We'll let Ignatius and the Didache be sufficient as far yeah, as and, uh, are even concerned. the Shepherd of Hermas comes to mind where it's talking about the stone tower being built. Yeah, it's got a, a section of it here, but it's kind of long, so I wasn't gonna read it. Yeah, um, but <clears throat> to basically abridge what it says, it's talking about how the people of the church can be described as stones. And the church itself is this tower that is always, forever, eternally being built. And so there are these angels that are depicted in the story building the tower with these stones. And there are these perfect stones that fit right into the tower. And those are your faithful, God-fearing Christians. And then there are some that are jagged and kind of misshapen, but they still fit. They still work. And those are your, your Christians who struggle. They're maybe not doing the best and not living the most faithfully. And then you've got some stones over here that are being cast aside completely because they are just incompatible with with the tower. Those are your atheists, your Hindus, your not Christians. Your apostates. But it also talks about these different other stones, how some of them almost make it. They almost fit, but they're just not quite right. But... If I'm not mistaken, one of the stones described are these stones that that f- that that seem like they would fit, and they're so close, but they just they just don't fit. Which, yeah, it, it's yeah. So all the stones that don't quite fit into the tower, the angels set aside to be uh, fixed. Yes. So the the ones that are too big are the Christians that are, if I'm recalling correctly, they are good, faithful Christians who are too wealthy 
Yeah. And they have to have some stuff removed. Yes. Until they can fit. Or into some the of the tower. rocks that are too jagged have to be smoothed down right. first. So they they take the stones, which are the Christians, and they they set them aside with and turn them over to the angel of repentance, who's supposed to yeah. discipline them and, and make them fit for the tower, which is a wonderful image, and it has. And there are some stones that the angel of repentance is like, I can't do anything with these. Yeah. They, they, no matter how much I try, these stones aren't going to be made right, Mm -hmm. but they're still kind, they're still Christians because they're intended for the tower, but they're, they're not Christians because they have. They don't go in the tower. They don't go in the tower and, and it's. Hermes doesn't seem to think, and this is uh, Paul's associate, Hermes. Most likely. Most likely, writing in the first century. So he doesn't seem to think that everyone who is a Christian, quote-unquote, makes it. He seems to have an idea of salvation that is a process rather than punctiliar. Yeah. Um, So so do with that that what you will. Yeah. you want to talk about Jesus for a second? Some of the yeah. things he says? Yeah, I actually have some of those already bookmarked here. Oh, great. Um, I, I've just got a few verse references here that uh, that some people will use in defense of eternal security and say this is proof that once you're saved, you're always saved. So we're just going to read through a couple of these and see what we have to say about them. So first is Jude. Uh, in Jude chapter 24. Hey, Jude. Don't copyright trick us, please. Oh, crap. Yeah. Well, we did talk about Star Wars for like an hour, so... That's true. Anyway, in Jude chapter 24, it says, To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without great joy. So, what do you, what do you take from that? To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without great joy. Uh, Hold on. Which part of Jude is this? I don't have an exact verse reference, unfortunately, because this is off a website. It just says Jude chapter 24. Jude is one chapter. It must mean verse 24 then. Okay. My bad. My B. Uh, Jude verse 24. That was not made very clear. Hold on. I, let me look at it in my uh, yeah. own version. Okay. Yeah. Um, him who is able to keep you from falling. Yes. And this him is Jesus. Yes. Right? That being it God, is Christ. He is able. Yes. Of course he is able. But will you let him keep you from falling? Mm, okay. Sufficient to stand... Free to fall. Mm. All right. To Let's quote look at uh, Milton. John chapter 10. Which John? Regular John. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. If you want to read those. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. So this is the one we were referencing earlier. Yeah, nothing can snatch you out, but 
I, I think you're allowed to leave. Nothing can snatch you from his hand, but does that mean you can't leave his hand? You can't slip through the fingers. You can't oh, fall I, off the side. I, I think it's less of a, a, a slip and more of a, a plunge. You elect to leave the hand, you know? Mm. You, if you choose to go, all right. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that believers are, quote, sealed for the day of redemption. Now, how do you interpret that? Sealed for the day of redemption. That's uh, 4 verse 30. I'm just going to read the whole verse there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Verse 31, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the seal for the day of redemption is the Holy Spirit. And he says not to grieve it. And you do not grieve it by doing what, Ryan? What followed that? Bad things. Well, it followed a list of things to not, not do, do yeah. and a list of things to do. It appears that Paul seems to think that grieving the Holy Spirit means behavior. Mm, okay. We've got two more here. We've only got a few minutes left. So if you want to pull up John again, John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Fifteen and sixteen. Got it. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. So that's fifteen and sixteen. Yeah. So in the Greek, for God so loved the world. What is translated as so is utas which means in this way, not so, because so is a uh, how much. Yeah, kind of. it should be God in this way loved, loved the, the world, world that okay. he gave his only son, so, which is Interesting. not relevant to this at no, all. No, that is cool. But though. I have a note here where I've crossed out so <laughs> and put in what it ought to be. I do like that. Um, so it is telling us how God loves the world, not how much yeah. God loves the world. But I, I digress. Uh, I, I don't think that that clearly maps onto a uh, once saved, always saved perspective. Mm. I don't see that there in the text. It's those that believe in him or have faith in him or are loyal to him, depending on how you want to translate pistis, may have eternal life and may will not perish. Mm. Right. Okay. So it. I've got one more yeah. here. I've got one more. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. So this is Paul speaking. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I... I get the feeling reading that, that what he is saying is that nothing can separate them, right? 
Nothing on heaven nor on earth can separate him from God. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have the capacity to leave God. There's a difference in that, right? Yeah. Can can I read, uh, shift gears just a little bit and, yeah. and read a passage? So those were all passages that are supposed to be in favor yes. of. And, you know, I, I don't think it's been a secret so far that I'm not in favor of yes. um, this perspective. And I, I've tried to be fair to it. Um, you could be the judge of if I pulled that off. But there's this verse here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus says, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit further. Yes. Chapter 7, starting at verses 15, going down through 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs? Figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruit or actions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Yes, I also had this one bookmarked. Uh, so I'm glad you brought it up. I, I Back to James. Yeah. Faith without works is not faith. Loyalty without works is not loyalty. There is a particular way that the Christian ought to be. Yep. And go be it. And I don't know, man, all those verses that are supposedly in support of eternal security, what I gather from all of those verses, none of them say you can't not be a Christian anymore. None of them say you can't lose your faith. What all of them pretty much say is, no one else can take your faith from you, right? Right. You can't have your faith taken from you by someone else or by a demon or by an an- from an angel. No one can separate you from God. None of them explicitly state in any fashion you cannot leave God. And there's a difference. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that if we look carefully at the history of the church and— uh, theologians throughout church history and Holy Scripture itself, it seems evident to me that um, eternal security is not the plainest reading of these things. Yeah, because, I mean... And you can make an argument for it, but it's not the plainest reading. Because just in Matthew chapter 7 there, I mean, that's... How concise is that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And Lord, Lord is kind of the sinner's prayer. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at. What is the sinner's prayer if not saying, Lord, Lord? At least to some extent, right? And I mean... And it, to it, be sure, that's a start. Yeah, that's but a, that's that. Only, but that should that has to be the start of your spiritual yeah, walk, not the end of but it. But 
only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. That's very clear cut. And this is, this is Jesus speaking. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to say that eternal security is wrong. I am. You, you're very, <laughs> yeah, you're obviously in that camp. Uh, I don't know. But to the best of my understanding at the moment, there doesn't seem to be much scriptural support for that line of thought. And if there is, you have to do a bit of mental gymnastics to get there. So we're, we're a couple minutes over as it is, so we better wrap up here. Um, so I guess to close out, uh, closing thoughts here, William, you're obviously not in support of eternal security. Yeah, no, you don't I don't like that. I, I don't think it's the plainest reading of the text. I don't think that it is commiserate with church, the historical teachings of Christianity. And, uh, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will be saved, but those who do the will of my father who is in heaven. So go and do the will of the father who is in heaven. Have faith with works. Yeah. And. All I've really got to say is I don't know. It maybe eternal security is the case. And maybe maybe I could be wrong about the way I'm thinking about things. And I just don't know it. But and to the I'm glad best, that one of us has intellectual humility. Yeah, to um, the best of my understanding of scripture, I, I don't see a clear route that leads you down that line of thought. You have to do some mental gymnastics to get there. And I, I certainly look forward to speaking to my pastor about this, uh, following up on this, because I'd, I'd love to hear what he has to say. Um, Let, let's put it this way. Um, when all is said and done, no one will go where they shouldn't. Yeah. And I trust God to uh, have those in, in the kingdom of heaven that ought to be there and those that ought not to be there won't be. Yeah. Um, and if if I see Robert there, I'll be glad. Um, yeah. But I don't know. And so that's a bit of a downer. But uh, and you know, it, you know, if it sounds like a bit of a cop out for me to say, well, well, I don't know, so it's fine. But I think to some extent, no one can ever know everything, right? The secret things are for the Lord, yep, and the rest right. of things are for us, and. Maybe this is just one of those things. Maybe I'll never truly know. And again, I look forward to speaking to my church leadership and my pastor and getting their perspective and seeing what they have to say. Uh, and maybe they'll bring up some stuff that we didn't consider. Or yeah. maybe they won't. Yeah. But they, maybe they, they will, might. and I'm willing to enter that conversation with an open mind. But to the best of my understanding— my, my mind is closed. <laughs> it's like a bank vault. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. I don't need your opinion. Watertight? <laughs> Watertight, baby. Yeah, but to the best of my understanding, just looking at Scripture like we did, I do not see a clear line that leads to that idea. I, I don't. So perhaps once I've had a chat with my pastor, I'll have changed my mind. Maybe I won't have. And maybe I'll come back and uh, I will have a bit of remission to make in a future episode and say, ah, I think I was wrong about that. And then I will tell you why you're wrong about thinking that you're wrong. Because maybe. By golly, I don't think that's or the... maybe that won't happen at all, but... Regardless, uh, th thanks for listening. Yeah, let us know what you think in the comments. Down in the 
comment section or an email below. theologyish at gmail.com yep send us an email there's not a hyphen in the email although there is a hyphen in the show yeah it's so just it's, theologyish at gmail.com so no hyphen send us your email yelling at us about why we don't understand eternal security and that'll be great uh so like comment subscribe etc etc leave a five-star review on spotify it helps us out a lot we are a teeny tiny podcast and we are trying to get slightly less teeny tiny so if you have a friend that you think might be interested in this send it to them send it to your weird cousin (laughs) and just don't say anything else to them about it just send it to them and then they'll text you back and be like are you saying that you don't think i'm saved and then you just don't reply to the text yeah send the link to your pastor pastors love this stuff it's true pastors love getting links to people talking about things (laughs) that they know more about than the people that they're listening to if you that was a terrible sentence anyway thanks for listening and we will see you next time have a good night